Hello. Hi. 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 Hello. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious about building open, authentic, loving relationship. I'm curious about jealousy. I'm curious about polyamory. Does it just mean that you're fucking all the time? How can I tell my parents that my partner is already married? I'm curious about... How do you know when you're too busy to have another relationship? I'm curious about dominant and subordinate relationships. I'm curious about sexual health. How can relationships evolve with people as they grow and change? Hi, my name is Effie Blue, and this is the Curious Fox Podcast. Curious Fox is a community for those who challenge the status quo in love, sex, and relationships. Every month, we pick a theme anchored in love, sex, and relationships. I ask a diverse set of panelists to meet with me and an audience of Curious Foxes in Brooklyn, New York. Together, we explore the theme through personal stories. This month, we decided to tackle the topic of Relationship Anarchy, or RA for short. Relationship Anarchy has underpinnings in political ideology of anarchy. For a lot of people, the word anarchy can carry some negative connotations, so it can be hard to imagine it's a model for a healthy relationship. Sometimes the word anarchy conjures up images of violence, chaos, and apocalyptic disarray. But this misconception really dismisses the lessons that the relationship anarchy can teach us. When I looked closer at the beliefs of anarchy, I was very surprised to find how closely it aligns with non-violent ideologies such as Buddhism. One of the panelists in today's discussion, Windy, identifies as a practicing Buddhist, an RA, and I'm excited for you to hear her perspective on how these two parts of her connect. At its core, anarchy is about autonomy and absence of hierarchy. It's an anti-authoritarian political philosophy that advocates for self-governance. It opposes capitalism, the state, and representative democracy. At this month's Curious Fox, we explored the intersection of this deeply political school of thought with the interpersonal realm, In my research for today's theme, I read the work of Andy Nordgren, who coined the term relationship anarchy. In her short instructional manifesto for relationship anarchy, she talks about how RA can support an abundance of love, how RA can respect and honor the uniqueness of relationships, how it operates from a self-selected core set of values and rejects the burden of normativity. To Nordgren, relationship anarchy works best from a place of deep trust and assuming the best of intentions. Relationship anarchy is not for everyone, including me, but the exploration of this topic has takeaways for everyone in any type of relationship. Honoring your and your partner's autonomy, effectively addressing power dynamics in your relationships, deep trust, these are all tenets of successful relationship anarchy and values I want to bring in my own relationships. At Curious Fox, we want to encourage curiosity and provide a space for exploration through connection and story. RA is a big topic, and our socials are not, and will never be the final word on any topic. But we had a great discussion this month, and I'm looking forward to sharing it with you. Enjoy the episode. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for coming. Good to have you here. Hello. Just in case you didn't know, you're a curious fox. We are a community um, for those who challenge the status quo in love, sex, and relationships. We've been running these events for almost three years now. Uh, we don't preach. We don't promise anything. We just present ideas and, and, and invite you to consider them. If it resonates with you, it's great. If it doesn't, hopefully you are entertained. Before I carry on, I'm going to just introduce you to Jackie, um, who is my um, collaborator, and she has something to add. 
I want to tell you a little bit about Patreon. Um, so as Effie said, about three years ago, Curious Fox started. It was born from a need from the community to have more access to information and community and a place to ask questions that felt safe and interesting and encouraging. And so from that, all of this was born in the spirit of challenging the status quo in love, sex, and relationships. And so we've done a lot over the past three years, uh, all the events that she's mentioned and building up this community that not only exists in New York, but exists around the world. And we want to continue to expand that. So in order to do everything that is on our wish list, which essentially is everything on your wish list that you have told us that we've added to our wish list, uh, we need additional resources. And so because this was born out of the community and we did this to support the community, we are coming to the community to ask the community for support. Um, so to that end, we've started a Patreon page. Patreon is a fundraising platform. You get to choose how you want to support. It could be a dollar. that you give every month. And in exchange for not only supporting this, for allowing this to grow, for allowing us to take this uh, community and this conversation outside of just basements in Bushwick, we, uh, you get cool stuff. So you get access to our Facebook page where there's a lot of content and conversation and dialogue and videos. You get to submit specific questions that you may have about things that are going on in your life. And we get our experts to answer those questions for you. Um, If you are not in New York, and you're listening, you get a Google Hangout and you get to hang out with us and ask us questions and talk. You get free tickets. You get Curious Fox swag. And so I encourage you to go on. There are signs everywhere of where you can find us on Patreon. We are Curious Foxes. That is also our handle for Instagram and Facebook and anywhere you can find us and our, and our podcast is there. So we encourage you to support. If you like what, what's happening in these conversations, if you want more of this, if you want the people back home who aren't here to get this, if you want someone else to listen to this, if you want to have more dialogues and more events then we encourage you to support thank you thank you jackie she does that so much better than i do (laughs) thank you so today we're going to discuss um relationship anarchy the way the flow of this is going to go i'm going to pass it on to my panelists who are individually going to introduce themselves uh, and tell you their story of who they are what they're about and why they're practicing relationship anarchy in their lives I'm going to introduce myself last. And then after that, we're going to open it up to questions. So this is really about you. This is about your curiosity. We say no pressure, no promises, just curiosity. I'm going to start with Amir on the further end, and we're going to come in. Yeah. Thanks for organizing this, by the way. Uh, Thank you for coming. My name is uh, Amir. And I, uh, in some ways, I guess I was sort of a relationship anarchist as soon as I started dating, although I had no idea that there was a name for it, uh, I had no access to any information about non-monogamy as a philosophy, a relationship orientation, anything like that. I uh, grew up in a very heteronormative, militaristic, somewhat machoist uh, society, uh, a lot of pressure to kind of conform. And I remember sort of really challenging a lot of the ideas about why people kind of form these couple units and, um, you know, form marriages and all these rules and ideologies around that uh, and wanting to challenge it and, and basically trying to actually relate to, uh, you know, form intimate relationships around me in different ways. Um, and eventually kind of succumbing to the the pressure. So after several years of trying to do that, I ended up in a very monogamous marriage. Uh, this was after I came to New York already. Um, and then rolled 
the clock forward about 15 or more years, uh, opened up that marriage and went through the whole sort of journey that most people tend to go through that come to non-monogamy from the more traditional sort of marriage kind of uh, framework and then trying to sort of deconstruct that and, and find other ways of, Uh, of forming relationships, which we'll, we'll get to, I guess, uh, in, in this discussion. And then it was a long journey to eventually find myself back where I was when I was 15, I think, in terms of really trying to challenge all of those social constructs about how relationships should form, what makes for an intimate relationship, um, how one defines them, how one sort of uh, works with them. Um, and that's sort of been, I think, my last sort of three years or so, just trying to kind of live in that um, mindset and that framework. And you know, I would love to talk about more about what that means. But, Are we doing? Name, name pronouns. Are we doing sure, pronouns? Yeah. Name, uh, Wendy, she, they. Um, I really loosely identify as a relationship anarchist uh, and hybrid um, hybrid relationship anist, an anarchist and Buddhist practitioner because that has highly informed the way that I do relationship. Um, I loosely identify because I don't really uh, adhere to labels. Um I don't internalize labels either. I think they're really excellent pointers, but really uh, awful identities. Um, and for me, I experience them as being fairly limited. So, um, so RA, um, Buddhist, um, I think really from the onset, I was uh, really put off with the idea of hierarchical relationships and monogamy. I never married. I did want children and I chose to have children and raise them on my own. My children have been fundamental teachers in doing relationship. I've experienced the most intimacy with them. I've experienced the most letting go with them. Um, it's there really, really were, uh, phenomenal teachers in so far as, uh, learning a lot about autonomy, letting them have autonomy, uh, allowing myself to have it, um, learning that relationships transition and they do so, do so organically. And so I, I really think that my, my approach was highly informed by having kids and being a parent. I did uh, effort to do monogamy a few times in my life and they were always short-lived and felt pretty unnatural to me. So uh, I think I sort of loosely practiced RA for a long time. Before I really knew what it was, and I'd say in the last five years, I probably um, more concretely and with greater awareness uh, do RA. Um, and, and again, like I said, uh, my Buddhist practice and mindfulness practices have been really instrumental in being able to do that skillfully. That's about it. That's what I got. Yeah. Hey, I'm Conchetta. She, they, her, doesn't really matter to me. Yeah, I relate. The labels are kind of strange because that's the point of anarchy is that you don't group. And here we are talking about our group. Yeah. Um, it's a little confusing in that sense, but all I can speak from is from what comes naturally to me as opposed to um, anarchy as a philosophy, you know, as a, as a theory. I'm, I'm really going to come at it just from what, what, how I relate. 
it wouldn't be possible to talk about this without going into childhood. Um, I grew up in a family of nine children in Asia, a very atypical childhood. I was always in the spotlight, always on stage for better and for worse. And my mother was extremely hierarchical when it came to love and attention and affection. Boys were first, women were second. And then we all had our roles. Like we had to prove ourselves for being good at something. Um, and so from very young age, I learned that love came in hierarchy and I had to earn attention. And then um, when I was 13, I was kicked out of my home and I went into the foster care system in Asia, which was a long journey of trying to find security. Um, and this is the part that I, I wasn't going to talk about, <laughs> but this is literally why I find myself seated here today. What I noticed, the, the most hurtful parts of being in the foster system were actually the good memories because I always knew they weren't going to last. When I found a family that was wonderful, that actually had the non-abusive, kind, loving, um, everything I always wanted as a child, just unconditional love, I knew there was a clock ticking. Why? Because I was not their actual child. So at some point it was going to end. And that is what cemented for me this sense that when I'm looking for love, I don't want conditions on it. I don't want any classifications for this. And I didn't understand it at the time that that's what I was looking for. Um, fast forward, I grew up Christian, extremely conservative. I met someone, fell in love when I was 19, stayed with this person, um, ended up getting married at 24, abstinence. Oh. Yeah, all of that, sexual morality, everything. Um, you know, uh, right now I look, I look one way, but I grew up very differently. I'm a performer today in New York City. Like many people in this non-monogamous journey, started out monogamous with traditional values, not really chosen, but chosen for us, right, culturally. Um, by year eight, um, I booked a national tour. And the first, I was married at this point, and the first question people asked me after congratulations was, but what will your partner say? And I didn't like it really didn't even occur to me that this was a form of sexism or um, patriarchal hierarchical relationship constructs. Like I didn't I was just confused. I was like, what do you mean? What what he, what he say? Um, and, and this just continued. But what will he do? Is he OK with it? And when I talked to him about it, he didn't understand that either. So both of us were kind of perplexed. Like, what do you mean? Love me? Support me? be happy for me, all of those things. Um, that continued. We opened up our relationship. Um, I've been open for three years, polyamorous for two. And I discovered um, this like anarchy word because when I started dating, like this was like really scandalous. I was dating other people who were like married or, you know, like just figuring out where you fit on OkCupid, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and and I would, I, would, I would meet these guys who had facial hair, so they looked like my partner. So it was like, okay. And, and we'd be sitting there and talking. And like some of the first conversation starters were like, let me tell you about my construct. You know? <laughs> we date on Thursdays. You know? Um, my partner and I split all of our bills when we date. You know, like they had like all these rules. And, and like, again, I didn't understand anarchy. I didn't even understand polyamory, but I was like, what is that? I, the whole point of opening this up was to be open. Like, this is so structured. And it, like, again, I didn't have the words for it, but it's, it just, to me, there's nothing wrong with hierarchy. But for me, it felt wrong. There were just so many rules. The more into polyamory I got, 
the worse off I felt. And I was like, what is this? I don't understand because I love the idea of open sex, love, communication, freedom to explore whatever I want. And yet everybody I'm dating who says those things on their profile have more rules than monogamous men do mm-hmm. and women. And I couldn't understand that. And, and, and it was through these like constant relationships that someone called me an anarchist. And I was like, like Bernie Sanders? I was like, yeah. <laughs> is that what that is? Um, and so like, and, and that was the journey. You kind of start to discover it, you know? And then I realized on these dates, it was kind of like these partners were showing their pool hours. Like here's our pool hours, bathing suits only, um, on weekends, potential nudity allowed, you know? Um, you may have a child, but an escort over the age of 18, right? That's what it felt like dating them. But on my end, I was like, I mean, I have a pool. And like, if you want to be nude, you can go over there and the prude people can be there. And there's like the shallow side. And if you want to like do synchronized swimming, like the middle is really great for that, you know? And that's like how I feel about relationships. It's like, I don't, um, and I think this is like, if you Google anarchy and relationship hierarchy, the things that'll show up are autonomy, which is really big. And for me, that means, um, I'm not going to ask you for permission but that doesn't mean I don't give, can I swear on this? That doesn't mean I don't give a shit. And that's the misconception that I find a lot of people have about anarchy and um, non-hierarchical relationships is that we just do whatever the fuck we want. And that's just, I think that's just up to the individual, however you are as a person. And for me, and that can exist whether or not you're <laughs> that's just a person by person that's, quality, that right? Everywhere, what makes anarchy what it is, is, is autonomy. I'm not going to ask you for permission, but I give a shit about how you feel. So there's a lot of communication. I want to know if my actions are impacting you and how to make you more comfortable, but I don't always want to tell you where I am. And you kind of have to be okay with that. And we can talk about that and create agreements, but I'm not going to ask you if I can be a performer. I'm not going to ask you in the same way if I can have a mom. I'm not going to ask you if I can have children. I'm not going to ask you if I can go fuck someone tonight. You know, like that's, that's, that's on me. And I'm not going to expect you to, to, to come to me. It works both ways. For me, that's the number one of relationship anarchy. And a lot of people disagree with this and that's okay. But for me, that's number one. That's, that's why I really relate to this that's exactly the discussions that we, we want to have tonight. Um, and I, I don't want to interrupt the flow, but I will in- introduce myself quickly for those who don't know me. Uh, my name is Effie Blue. I'm a relationship coach. I work with people who are curious about transitioning into or have hit a roadblock in open relationships. Um, that's what I do by day. And then I also do this. I'm Curious Fox is my baby. I have um, some awesome people who help me. Um, and... You know, I'm curious by nature and and love, sex and relationships is my realm. And this is, you know, this is why I'm here and why I make these events happen. On that note, I have I am filled with questions, (laughs) which I'm going to pose. But this is also a good time to open it up to the floor as well. After autonomy, I knew there was something in my notes that I was going to bring up. And so another thing, another reason I relate to this word of anarchy is because I don't classify um, my romantic relationships as one and then my 
friendships as another. Right. So it doesn't give special status to relationships in which no. sex is happening or relationships which you may be experiencing yeah. high degrees of intimacy. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was really important. That stuck for with me, me from well. being young in the sandbox when we're all just playing. That's still here now. And like Amir, I did the whole marriage thing, but ended up resisting and running away from all of it and coming back to the sandbox where, wait, my best friend lived from year four when I was 18. She's still in my life. And when she calls, she matters just as much as the partner who I live with and have sex with. And this new person I'm dating that I'm really excited about he could matter too. I have the same space. I have that kind of emotional space that not everybody would have. I, I stay away from the labels that you used there, actually. Like? Best friend, because what does it do to all your other friends? Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, partner, um, especially when we say my partner, that then suddenly they belong to you. They're a thing that belongs to you. I like names work pretty good <laughs> it is a tricky thing because we're it's like tricky. we're re rewiring we can't do ra perfectly that's the number one thing to to bring up here we don't do ra perfectly it is been done by very few people and we are effectively confronting our conditioning and uh resisting the way that groups family societies um, have been organized. And so there's a major learning curve. For me, that's where Buddhist practice comes in because it really encourages being comfortable with ambiguity. It really encourages a uh, spacious mind. Um, it encourages me to be fully embodied to my emotions, um, such as jealousy, such as, you know, all of the, the those things that come up, I get to fully experience without retracting or reacting. So uh, coming back to that, the way that those labels are used, it, it's so natural for us and i've done it and i think we do it to to sort of resort to them but in the same in the same sense it it sort of uh reasserts those roles for me it's not something that i find limiting but i can totally see where you're coming from yeah i've had to like uh invent new language and try to use it and i really just love calling everybody friend that's super like because it's friendly it's like nice and sweet and like valid um except for my kids i still just i don't call them friend usually but they're allowed to call me by my first name that is totally acceptable awesome this is this is super interesting to see sort of where you where you are at right now and i am i consider um shared briefly like the background um how she got to this philosophy today i would love to hear that if you're comfortable i would love to hear that from you a little bit like what what was your journey like? What led you here? What were the markers along the way that led you to to, to practice something like relationship anarchy? And and also, um, I, we talked about it a little bit. That you know, anarchy is a political belief and a belief. So it's it's not just something that you practice in your relationships, but it's a way of life. Well, it is now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I think I know what you're saying. What are the underpinnings? Um, well, I grew up in the punk rock scene. Um, I grew up a squatter, in fact. And and so I really lived um, anarchy as, as a kid. And I also found a lot of the things that happen in the punk rock scene are not anarchy, um, that, are, that are quite the opposite. So I grew up in the punk rock scene. I was really, I was exposed to Buddhist practice and uh, Eastern thought really early on. And it's very fascinating to me how the two actually can and, and do coexist um and they support each other and i feel like you know they balance each other out for me and they it's i've not once come into conflict with it um but i yeah so i grew up in the punk rock scene so it's really it was 
And I, you know, I, I obviously gravitated to that scene because of some innate qualities in me um, that really craved autonomy. But also, I mean, in, in, in the in the within the light of uh, RA, like I, I understood and valued um, a collective approach too. I think I really have a sort of sense of collective individualism, you know, where I both respect other people's choice to be autonomous and to be an individual and to respect their own process and to respect their growth that is 100 like all my relationships have to be growth based um like it doesn't even matter if you're doing my taxes like i really will gravitate to people who are mostly just really really interested in growing um where the hell was i going with that yeah so 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 for me it's a huge anchor because it's like i need things to be growth based and if doing you means not doing that thing I would prefer you to do, then that's okay, actually, as long as, as, as you're going where you grow and as long as you're letting me do that also. It's super important. Um, and I think that I've always valued that and it's been fundamental and it's it's been with me since my like early punk rock days. Um, yeah, I think that pretty much covers it. Those were really uh, big influencers in my life early yeah, on. Thank you, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up the issue of control, right? And to relate it to the question about political underpinnings and um, the philosophy aspect of RA, um, if you think about monogamy and what it, what it means, um, you know, it's, um, it's interesting because we don't tend to think about it ent- until we go outside of it and then we start to look at it and try to deconstruct it. Um, but it really is, in many ways, built on the notion of control and ownership. And um, one could basically see the beginning of it in the uh, agricultural revolution with a notion of ownership of land and then ownership of the people who work the land and then ownership of the people who raise the people who work the land, right? So it really, in many ways in my mind as a philosophy and a social sort of construct monogamy is all about owning people and controlling them. And so non-monogamy as a philosophy in my mind is all about deconstructing that. Uh, So, you know, asking about how I came to all of those ideas, I think a lot of them were very sort of unformed at an earlier age. But as I started to practice non-monogamy, you know, first, coming across words like polyamory much earlier and um, and having similar experience to what you're describing, Conchetta, um, realizing that a lot of the worlds of polyamory and, and non-monogamy are, are really just repeating the same ideas. Like adaptations. Just adaptations, right. So you kind of take away the uh, sexual exclusivity aspect, right? So when I said that it's a big construct, right? It's three different things when people say monogamy. One is sexual exclusivity as a practice. And that's the first thing people usually start to take away when they want to practice other things. Then there's the notion of the sort of relationship orientation, right? Which I think a lot of us have this sort of non-monogamous orientation that does have the need and want to to have more intimate relationships in many more ways. And then there's the philosophy and the sort of social kind of implication of what it means to 
control others and be in an intimate relationship with another, what it means about their uh, responsibility for your emotions, for instance, right? Uh, a lot of the, the philosophical underpinnings. And in my mind, it's relationship anarchy is the first sort of time that we're trying to formulate a lot of those ideas mm-hmm. around a more cohesive sort of philosophical framework. Um, that really goes back, way back to anarcho-feminism of like Emma Goldman and, and even further back to individual anarchism. So, yeah, it is sort of like you were saying, we're still forming that, but it's... it's I, yeah, it, it's very much it, in its infancy. Yeah. Also, I think by nature, it's going to evolve, right? The, the, if you think about the way it's, it's about non-governance, about autonomy, it's about flow, it's about moving with the needs of, of, or, of, of the group as it changes. In, in the present moment. In the yeah. present moment. So by nature, I think it's going to keep evolving, keep changing, keep shifting, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, but isn't that like the nature of relationship already? Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think one of the things we're taking away is like uh, all of this sort of concepts we have, all the ideas we have around it, mm-hmm. around relationship, and we're then just allowing it to, to sort of happen organically. Mm-hmm. Um, and and pulling back some of the the ways that we control mm-hmm. relationship, sure. yeah. yeah. I think that's ultimately what all three of us have in common is that we're saying what comes most naturally as opposed to what's been done. Yeah, and what I hear from you to you guys were kind of like it was always there. I just yeah. didn't know it. I didn't know. I didn't have yeah. a language yeah, for absolutely. it. And I, I had the, the, the inheritance of, you know, the punk rock scene and Buddhism. <laughs> found it, you found it so young. Um, yeah. yeah, I had a sweet yeah. inheritance there. But like, yeah. it, it's what's really cool. And I've heard that before is yeah. that people say it was just kind of always there. Like mm-hmm. I had these yeah. ideas. Mm-hmm. I felt this way. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know what that looked mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. And even when I did find RA, it was a relief. Like mm-hmm. when I found mm-hmm. that this is a thing mm. and actually it's not just on my mind or mm. it's not just the way that I'm functioning. I felt included. For sure. Included. Uh, yeah. That's, that's, that's like the best part of it. When you feel fully part of the party, you know, yeah. and you, you yeah. were saying that, limitation. You, that you yeah. feel it's radical because we're on the fringes and we're usually the only person in the room and we're uh, even in a non-monogamous, <sighs> you know how many times I have to, and it's, I enjoy talking about it. Like, I don't look miserable right now, I don't think. <laughs> but like, what's what's not so enjoyable is all of the implications that come at you. Where's your partner? Mm-hmm. Oh, he's not here again, huh? Is or- he real? <laughs> <laughs> really? Like, you, you guys laugh, but, and you all laugh, but, like, I, I get that all the time. I'm still with the partner that I was married There's to. There's a lot of explanations. And they don't understand yeah. why. I do things separately and I might not always know where he is because this person is an individual that I love and appreciate and want to let him free. Mm-hmm. That's actually really hard to explain because our society for me, non-monogamy and polyamory and then monogamy. I agree. They're kind of similar because they're just different levels of control. A lot of the times <laughs> it's like, I don't want to control your dick, but I want to control your heart. Well, I, 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 I you know what I mean? But like, ultimately, that's all fear based. I take a gentler approach. I think they're all different ways of organizing. And we're, but we're, we're, we're moving, we're moving from, you know, this really sort of intellectual mind which has value mm-hmm. intellectual mind space and from as a as a meditator i would see that um as as our people who are practicing ra 
we're sort of moving from a different space. We're allowing more spaciousness. More That's how spacious, I feel. Spacious. And that was originally what we were talking about is that, um, and if you prefer, you know, no, no titles, if we just go names, there's Steven and Olivia. Olivia has been in my life. Steven, shorter amount of time. One of them I'm actually secretly still married to. <laughs> and we've talked about like divorcing and not telling anyone. And then when we die, everybody will find out. <laughs> But now this is on a podcast, so <laughs> now everybody knows. Whoops. But I don't think my mom's listening to this, so she won't know. But um, like the fact that I love them both, and I have space for both of them, and they actually ask for a different space from me. So the classification only exists on the individual level. My space for you and my space for you is truly about what you and I need from each other and what you and I need from each other, not because, well, you and I met each other first, and so this is what we've decided. Is this okay? Okay, great. Okay, so what what I'm okay with is this, and that's the difference. I really like to use my children in this i'm like mm. and or children if you're a child and we all are or a parent you know that you don't love one kid more than the other mm. it's actually not time. possible yes they're two totally different kids they are two different people you have a different bond they have different needs and so as someone who has to organize a small society called my family um, <laughs> um i know that there is structure i know that there is but i know that walls are moving all the mm-hmm. time I love that. and i know that i am efforting to be completely embodied to our experience mm-hmm. for sure yeah yeah mm-hmm. um questions we can keep talking any questions we can keep talking uh, one, can. Uh, yeah, um, <laughs> um so I'm just curious, like, uh, this is the first time I've heard coming to this event about relationship anarchy, though I've been known about polyamory for many, many years. It seems that it involves a lot of trust. And I'm just curious, how do each of the panelists deal with the challenges around that? Um, because this is an, seems to me takes an even deeper level of trust, because the less structure you have, the more trust there has to be. Sure. I mean, I think we actually assume trust. Uh, it, it's one of the principles of, of RA is that... Yeah, I was saying, it, it's similar to the notion of the assumption of positive intent. You know, so you come to a relationship from a place of assuming the other person is, you know, not there trying to hurt you or... or um, and I think that does wonders to relationships to, to sort of take that as the basis... Uh, even when you are challenged, even when you are hurt, even when you are in difficult sort of emotional situations, to always sort of come back to that as the the kind of, you know, fundamental basis. Um, at least in, in my world, that, that seemed to make a, a very big difference in the kind of uh, um, dynamics that, that are, are formed. And, and that that makes trust a lot more sort of pervasive, I find. I think that, that uh, assuming, what, what is it? I forget what it is. Not assuming ill will, essentially, or something like that. Assuming humans are basically Posit- good. Positive intent. That's it's good anywhere. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, no, I mean, that's just good advice. We were talking about that, right? Mm-hmm. All relationships are, yeah. Um, right. uh, because I um, really have the intention to relate to, to people who are growth-based, who are committed to their growth, um, I can only assume that that's what we're doing, that they're committing to their growth and I'm committing to mine. Um, 
and that the choices I'm going to make are going to be largely based on my growth. And for uh, for me, I have I guess I struggle with the word trust because what am I trusting in that they're going to yeah. do what I'm, I trust that they're going to look in inwardly and be honest with themselves. I think maybe that is That's the trust. What is... I'm trusting in. Uh, everything else is a free for all <laughs> and that's life generally right like yeah. that's just life like you just hope that the people you're relating to are 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 people of of, of you know real substance and that they're really looking and sometimes we are looking and sometimes we miss it um and that's a part of the process right yeah that's yeah. where trust comes in for me i trust that they're they're doing the best that they can with who they are and what they know uh, trust is an interesting one. As I was doing research for this panel and looking into, there is a um, a relationship anarchy manifesto. Uh, the the person who Andy, let me get this right, because I don't want to exactly Andy Norgan, who um, coined the term relationship anarchy, wrote a manifesto, and you can find it online. Just look it up. Uh, and one of the things, so as I was going through, I was looking at them individually. I don't personally um, uh, identify as a relationship anarchist, but as I was reading the manifesto, each point that she was making really resonated with me. And on trust, I think it's actually, um, it ultimately ends up about me trusting myself that I can, I am making the right decisions in that moment, including the people that I'm choosing to be in a relationship with. So it's like, you can, you, you can only trust people like trusting other, trusting somebody else is a leap of faith. At some point you just do it because you choose to do it. There is no, guarantees there's no, no nobody can guarantee you because the only constant is change people change circumstances change even people make you promises they they don't want to break it circumstances change that they might ha they might have to so with trust especially in the context of this manifesto and relationship anarchy i think it's ultimately trusting in yourself that you are choosing the right people to be around when things come up you will handle them in the best way that you can um and and go from there that's kind of what i take away from it I feel like sometimes when you hear the word trust, I also hear the word vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Like, how can I be vulnerable in in a situation that has no certainty? And to that, I say no situation has certainty. Mm -hmm. And you hope to be in relationship with people who have uh, a real willingness to look inwardly. When, when people ask me, oh, I, you know how do you deal with the potential of him leaving you? Or what if she has an affair? Or like, these are questions that are not unique to our construct. Mm -hmm. They're going to be there regardless. What you really think that by not knowing where he is means that like, he doesn't have the same temptation as if I had all these rules for him to be back by nine o'clock. Mm -hmm. Like, does it really truly make a difference? Because ultimately at the end of the day, they will have autonomy. They will take it or they won't take it. But if I want it to be their choice to come back to me and love me the way I want to be loved, I do have to set them out. I have to let them go. So for me, my answer to you is that it doesn't make a difference. Giving someone autonomy, and you brought this back to you know, raising children, being able to let go, is how you really find someone that chooses you. And I think something that came up, um, I know, Wendy, you mentioned it. This is in the realm of trust. Um, tolerance to ambiguity. You know, I talk a lot about in my practice about tolerance to ambiguity and uh, and what that means. So ambiguity is essentially the unknown. And we have a sense, so often the opposite of tolerance to ambiguity, we're having a tolerance for ambiguity is control. So you either want to control or you have a tolerance, an understanding that you can't control things. And I think um, it is 
it is only human to want to control our environment to feel safe and comfortable. And I think, you know, Wendy, you saying like having tools to be able to do that and your, your Buddhist practice, like supporting you in doing that. I think it's a practice. I think naturally it doesn't come naturally. Our natural instincts of survival and comfort and security and that manifests in control and like ownership, right? That's a natural way of the human brain working. So we actually have to like relearn stuff and, and have practices in place to be able to rewire ourselves, to be open and to be spacious and to be able to trust and, and let things happen. That's really sane. And I think it ties in with vulnerability in so far as vulnerability is a practice. Mm-hmm. And one of the things is opening up to other people and, um, being in that wide open kind of spaciousness, knowing that at any moment um, something can go down. That's you know? why it feels radical. Yeah. Because it is kind of scary. And just because we say this came naturally to us when we were 14 doesn't mean we don't succumb to the incredible impulse and fear mm-hmm. to put structure around it to protect ourselves because we're human. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. Sure. Um, There's a question here. Um, so I have only been around the world of non-monogamy for a couple of years. And the first time I heard relationship anarchy was actually here at a Curious Fox social. It was um, on communication. And I believe, Amir, you raised your hand and identified yourself as a relationship anarchist. And I'd never heard the term before. And in the context of where I was at that moment, trying to open up a monogamous relationship um, with someone, and there was lots of non-consensual, non-monogamy going on and lots of <laughs> gaslighting and cheating and lying and, and, and not acting with integrity. It was a terrifying term to me. I didn't know what it meant. And my initial response when you identified yourself was, um, that person must be selfish, cold, uncaring, unfeeling. <laughs> this is someone who doesn't care about other people and how they feel. And now I completely, now that I know what it is, um, it feels very, very right and natural to me and to, you know, in line with everything that I believe about not being able to control other people and, you know, how I put my friends and my lovers in the same plane, you know, how I want to go about my relationships in, in the future. But I wonder... How often do you deal with that reaction and do you not identify yourself as that to people? Like, do you let people discover it naturally? Because <laughs> because you say that it's such an odd term. It's not something that's in the regular vernacular. And I'm sure even within the, the poly community, people probably bristle and think of you as other and cold and unfeeling and, and react poorly to it. So, so I'm just curious how you guys deal with that sort of ignorance. I just broke up with someone last week over this. (laughs) Yeah. And now it's become a thing for me. You know, people talk about their constructs when they're on a date, like we date on Thursdays. Um, So my thing is I tell them I'm fiercely non-hierarchical. And all that means is that whatever this is, I have space for it. If we continue on and we meet each other's needs, I, I, want, I want to welcome that and have space for it. And 
it's not complementary to a hierarchical, very structured polyamorous person. So if you are hierarchical and I am not, that could create some incompatibility. So I'm very upfront about it, like very, very clear. And Effie, I might need your counseling because that's not working. So like, I'm here to tell you that I'm a little lost about this because on the last three people that I have had relationships with, romantic relationships with and different dynamics, like some more sexual, some way more love and romance, aside from the person that I live with right now, have all ended over this very topic because I have more space than they do. And I have more room emotionally, anything. I just have more flexibility in my heart. And that has nothing to do with time, but it manifests as time. I'm very, very busy and I wear a lot of hats. I live in New York City. Who isn't, right? But one of the biggest hardships that comes with this, this is like time for people. And that's not unique to, and it's, it's a poly problem, I would say, is having time for people. Um, oh my goodness, what was your initial question? How do you, how do you handle it when you meet people? I tell them I try to be as upfront as possible without freaking them out or like putting too much structure and because I'm an anarchist. So it's like, I don't want to define myself, but at the same time, I need you to know that if you want to fit me on Thursday nights and you want me to fit a very specific box, it's not going to work. And yet no matter how much I communicate and I am a communicator, as you can see, I think people are still because they don't necessarily understand it. And I'm usually the first person they've ever encountered that they just kind of see me as fluid and cool. <laughs> and then they discover later, oh, no shit. Like she really was. And I'm like, no, really? I told you this. So the last three breakups, I have repeated what I said on day one of I am non-hierarchical and you are hierarchical. And this is what, you know, so maybe you two have better advice. Oh, I would like to start by saying not all RA people have breakups. <laughs> I do not com I do not um begin or end relationships in that kind of really stark fashion. Um I don't have breakups, I just have changes. Um yeah. and I don't ever really start a relationship. I just, you know, just things have things just do what they do naturally as they actually are. We're moving out of the Some concepts. Of <laughs> um, yeah. And I was going to say, I try to do it that way. The problem is not everybody else does. Yeah. So uh, that's, yeah. that's I think, almost <laughs> at the core of your question is how are... was more about the initial reaction. How are we perceived um, by others? I don't know <laughs> how I'm perceived. But, you know, there are a lot more important things to know about me than um, how I don't perceive you, <laughs> you know, or how I'm not going to organize knowing you. Um, there are super way more important things to know about me. And I think that I generally like to let people find that out through experience. Um, in a situation where I might want physical intimacy, that obviously gets a little bit challenging because please keep in mind i speak of relationships very broadly um so i'm talking about like anybody i might relate to it's not the first thing i bring up um in in situations where i might uh want some level of physical intimacy or be looking for that um it's been my experience so far just approach it by uh still just getting to know people has not worked out well actually because one of the things that i noticed that happened when i i would try to get to know someone and um they really became quite attached very quickly and referred to me as their partner. And I'm like, well, I just like, don't even know what you said. 
I'm like, heart? And I was like, look, look. It was all done in texting. It was terrible. It was horrible. Um, but I was like, look, I don't do partner. Like, I'm all right. Like, they're like, yeah, I know what that means. You're using me. And I was just like, I was like, just like, not, it's not. And then I was just like, I think, like, really, the underpinnings of this situation right now might have more to do with you, like, being disembodied because you're having a reaction, you're having an experience, and it's a big one, and you're not willing to be with it. And that, my friend, is reason for me to get some space. <laughs> so, um, like, so I guess that kind of reaction does happen, but I don't usually... Uh, I don't usually say it off the bat. I don't usually make announcements about it. I usually like to characterize how I relate or use descriptive words rather than labels. Mm-hmm. We're back to that, guys. I'm so yeah. sorry. It's a thing. Yeah, and I think I definitely want to hear what you have to say. One, one of the distinctions then, as I was doing this research that came up was, you know, there's a lot of conversation around what is the fundamental differences between non-hierarchical polyamory and relationship anarchy. And I think the thing that ultimately... The clear, the clearest thing I can get to is um, not separating what we say romantic relationships to other relationships. So when I hear Wendy say, like, I'm just talking about people I relate to, and I think that is the fundamental difference. It's it's the person that she t- does her taxes to the doorman to you know the people you know the, the barista to the kids to the obviously kids probably. Mm, um, to any, I was gonna say to the kids, and I was like, oh, my, no, uh, my kids know, like kids know, kids know. I'm a freak. When they walk yeah. my, ass. my own kids know, like I'm sure their friends know that there's something different. Mm. They know, yeah. And I think that is, uh, yeah. And I think that is the fundamental difference the, the, between the sort of this idea because it took me a while to just try to like parse this out for myself to understand. And I think the the one that really sticks out is that there's like anybody that you relate to versus the people that you're in a relationship with. That's my air quotes. Um, this, this, and, that- and also, I would note that the, another big difference is that uh, in RA, you can be sexually exclusive and monogamous if you so if you mm. choose to right if that's an arrangement that you've made with someone for any period of time it's it's possible for yeah. sure yeah. yeah yeah absolutely i want to so i want to relate to some of the things you you've uh, said about what distinguishes uh ra versus mm. yeah non-hierarchical mm-hmm. non-monogamy um and Yes, I, I agree. One of one of the aspects is the notion of taking away that construct of putting certain kind of relationships at the top and having a hierarchy of relationships, mm-hmm. right? Because non-hierarchical, non-monogamy, for some people, still is very hierarchical. It's mm-hmm. still like I have, maybe I don't call them primary and secondary, but they are sort of my whatever lovers mm-hmm. or partners or whatever. And then I think even between the two of us, you see a difference, mm-hmm. you know, in just our conver- like our conversation, we're like mm-hmm. not exactly in the same. Yeah. 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 I don't want to call them anything. Mm-hmm. We took different well, absolutely. Yeah. And I, and I yeah, think that is that is an interesting discourse, yeah. right? About if you try to take away all of that hierarchy and, and try to take away the ownership model of calling people my this or my that, then, you know, short of names, you're not cool. left with a lot yeah. of other I think, uh, so options. We've, we've experimented with that personally, and yeah. we end up, uh, we, we, someone I'm seeing, 
Because yeah, like quite literally, you are actually seeing them. <laughs> <laughs> Very literal. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. Uh, or friends. Friends is nice. Yeah, I like friends. friends because at the end of the day, that is at the basis of. We wish most one should hope. Yeah. Right? <laughs> one should hope, right? To, to your and then sometimes they're not well. friends. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes they're people you had a really good time with. <laughs> right. So that happens. But the other, the other thing that I think is. <laughs> the other thing that I think is actually really important to bring up again is to go back to what you said about politics, mm -hmm. right? So it's not just about a style of, of non-monogamy. It's actually trying to challenge mm -hmm. a lot of those notions of control and ownership that are at the core mm -hmm. of monogamy. And once you start challenging that and deconstructing that uh, – and challenging the patriarchal basis of monogamy. And when you challenge patriarchy, you'd start to see all the other uh, systems of control in society, like capitalism and, uh, you know, and racism and other things that are trying to put people in hierarchies. So um, once you start to do that, try to bring all of that into how we relate to each other and, uh, you know, breaking away all of those structures of power and first of all, recognizing that mm -hmm. the systems of power exist in any kind of relationship and then try to, uh, you know, not let that dictate mm -hmm. uh, the way we relate to each other and, and making the personal into political. Mm -hmm. I think that is a very important part of what sure. relationship anarchy yeah, is yeah. about. I mean, a lot of people that I spoke to have told me that, that it's not, um, a relationship structure, but it is a, it's right. a belief system. Absolutely. Um, and that you can be monogamous and have a belief system that is relationship anarchy. And I think that is also a distinction that we need to talk about, that it's not, uh, it's not, it, it, that's the best way I can explain it. You can be monogamous, you can be monogamous and still believe in relationship anarchy. Um, yeah, for me, clarify, I think. the marriage aspect. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, so if, yeah. Sexu so if sexually exclusive, married, right. not so much. Sure. Yeah, I, I would concur with that. I would say yeah. sexually exclusive because, again, monogamy can make sexual exclusivity. Sure. There's nothing in, in relationship anarchy that says you, one should be non-exclusive. Mm -hmm. You can be exclusive or abstinent or mm -hmm. whatever you want. Right. Uh, it also doesn't talk about the orientation. It talks about the philosophy. For so sure. yeah, well, you here's could, a really married thing. for the taxes. Right. Yeah. I was just going to say, you're, well, you're yeah, married yeah. on paper. Yeah, but, but it doesn't mean anything. I mean, this really goes to how are you internalizing labels? How are you internalizing exactly. marriage? Um, what do they mean to I you? I want to go back to her original question. Which is, how did you feel about the money? <laughs> 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 laid it down like she was like I've, I've mean person yeah. yeah yeah i really i mean i didn't know what it meant and it just sounded so cruel yeah. i've i've heard that before so it's not the first time i come across that and i think it sounds like you <laughs> it sounds like you you came across that also right that's yeah um and the the you know the truth is there are a lot of assholes out there right and sometimes that kind of uh you know, freedom type of philosophy can can give one a lot of sort of, uh, you know, excuses in a way, I right? Think, to, I think I'm to... really reserved about using it for the label aspect because I don't feel like it fully contains the quality of my being in relationships. How could it? Yeah. How could it? Um, 
I do use it very loosely and I don't, I mean, what, what if one day I'm not RA anymore? What if one day like something (laughs) else happens, you know, and something else seems more real. Uh, I'd like to have room for that. And that's That's the basic point. Like, so I don't make this, like, I don't put it on the forefront, like, Mm -hmm. but it does come up. And, and then I know when I'm going to bring it up, that they're gonna have to be sitting down and we're gonna need to have <laughs> yeah. some time because, would you like some tea because like this this actually <laughs> happened today at work they're, I was like what you doing today and I was like yeah, a panel and then, like, what's it about <laughs> these are totally monogamous people working in a college setting and I'm like well you know it's about non-monogamy what's that well, you know, it's like when people decide so with their relationships well, that sounds intriguing and then they're like well I'm like specifically we're talking about RA uh, you know what's all right relationship anarchy uh. yeah. <laughs> end of conversation and I'm like, oh this is where the conversation begins yeah. so i use it sparingly yeah yeah three <laughs> days ago my coworker asked me when i told her um because i was like it's time <laughs> she asked me if i um if i did threesomes do you like that? <laughs> that was the, that was literally her response. That's how much people understand yeah, yeah. what you're saying. So I was like, "Look, there's a difference between asking about my kink life and my fetishes and sexual desires versus who I date and how I like to date." You basically went to, "Do you do anal?" <laughs> and then she was like, "No, I would never ask." I was like, "There's nothing wrong with anal. You're missing my point." <laughs> no idea what that word is and they get really freaked out about it and i get one of two responses besides that weird one was the the one they don't believe me which is what happened to the last three guys they don't believe me non-monogamous yeah they don't believe you they just don't want to believe they don't they want they'll they'll impose whatever they think you mean and what they want which is like well eventually you'll be with me for you know they, they they project what they want that's the first one or the second one they convince me to be committed. Like they assume that I'm non-committal. Mm. I've been with a partner for 10 years. Mm-hmm. I love him very much. He's my life, like my, my person. Mm. And they put on all of that, the crap that I'm non-committal, that I'm afraid of commitment. You have no idea. Mm-hmm. You have no idea mm-hmm. because he's not with me and he doesn't own me that I don't commit to people. So those are the two yeah, responses that's that I a get. really important yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of questions. Right yeah. Now. yeah. We're getting excited. You guys are awesome. This can go on forever. Um, but I do want to ask. Yes, good. Is it okay if I don't ask a question? Is it okay if I give a little reflection and then ask for feedback? Is sure. that okay? Go ahead. So my journey with relationships has been framed by being a career sex worker. So it's really interesting about being a sex worker because you're kind of practicing RA within a container that's financial. But the thing that's really interesting is my impetus was never financial. My impetus was always freedom oriented because people, my main career was being a stripper. And so I got to actually be myself and I got to be myself more in the strip club in those relationships. Then it was amazing. And and then the other thing is that my journey with labels was very interesting. I was dating this person. It was like one of the only times in my life I'd had a monogamous relationship. And we were in the process of changing our relationship. And I was was seeing this new guy and he's like, why are you with someone that's so insecure? I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, you're polyamorous. And I was like, I'm what? I didn't even know. I was just living that way. And what I find with the labels is that they're like a little portal and that it gives you that moment where you're like, 
that release and that relaxation of being so odd for most of your life. And then 26 years old, getting a label that you're like, holy shit, I'm something, <laughs> you know, and that, that's not just like a freak, <laughs> you know, then. So I had what I'd spent most of my life doing up until recently was finding containers where I would know that the, there was a context, the relationship with a person couldn't control me. And I would have the circumstance that you had where someone would, I would they think that it was the way it was, was a passing phase or I would grow out of it. And then like six months into the relationship, they'd be like, holy crap, you're really this way. And then they try to change you and try to get you to be different. And then you go through that whole thing. But one of the things that's most interesting is I've had relationships that are going on almost 20 years now. And the relationships have deeply changed, like, uh, by one person's perspective, we're not even together anymore. But what I've discovered is that that particular person, I have to be committed to. If I break up with this person, my whole life falls apart. But as long as in my heart, I know that commitment is so meaningful and deep, and I maintain that commitment every day to that person because of the difference. They literally saved my life. Like, I love them to death then my life is good and my life is better. So I base the way I structure my relationships on the depth and the meaning and the quality, the commitment to that person. And the other thing I was going to say is I do find that it's really important to be open and be like, but I find that sometimes people that you love need a really tight container. And sometimes they need you to like be really tough on them and provide like, so there's the dominatrix like this mistress of desire way of loving somebody where you have I call it having a listen fucker conversation and there are people that I know that whose lives I've literally saved because I've been like no you're not gonna away, get away with letting me like not love you and that's when I talk about I call it radical non-negotiable non-negotiable unconditional love it's like I love you so much there's nothing you can do about that that's great. Thank you for sharing. It was yeah. awesome. Yeah. 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 And you wanted to, was, there a question in there? No, I think there's a lot of information. Yeah. I can, I can, I can relate to the uh, sex worker thing. Actually, I was a, a pro dom for quite a while. I've worked, oh, forget it. We're going to leave what I do out now because there's a conflict of interest. Um, <laughs> some, well, forget it. You know, mental health. Um, I work in mental health now, but and that's largely my background. But I have worked as a pro dom. It's exactly the same thing. Um, <laughs> and um and those were very real relationships you know holding the same guy once a week as he cries in your arms that's a real relationship and i can say actually in mental health um the relationships that i have with the people that i work with is they're very real they're their own relationships there are boundaries in place there are boundaries that ultimately make this the the sessions function in, in both scenarios um in the same way that there are boundaries in place for my children um but but they're they're still very very much real mm -hmm. yeah i think again with again as I, this is all my research is i think the why anarchy the word anarchy hits people is because uh we're just misinformed i was misinformed for sure and we think that you know anarchy means chaos and it actually doesn't anarchy doesn't mean lack of structure anarchy doesn't mean no boundaries it's it it doesn't mean non-committed. It not... means it's self-governance. Right, right. Autonomy. And autonomy, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think it's, it's, you know, I think people think that, the, you know, like you saying having these relationships with boundaries is it not um, out of line with having a, a, a relationship anarchist mindset. No, I think it's... Right, it's boundaries, not rules, right? right? For sure, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I want to maybe add to that a little bit. I also relate to what you were saying, because what I've heard you say is essentially you see the relationship dynamic as what defines the relationship. And and I, I totally agree with that. And I think that is, to me, also one of the biggest differences between relationship anarchy and normative relationships, mm -hmm. let's call them, where uh, those tend to have uh, types and categories, and, and that's where the labels come mm -hmm. into play, right? So if we are partners or, um, you know, God forbid, friends with benefits mm -hmm. or one of those labels, that then we come to the relationship with a set of expectations mm -hmm. that are based on that category it's an internalized label yeah yeah and so we say this is what a married couple does mm -hmm. right and and usually of course our interpretation will be different and i'll get us into trouble but <laughs> the point is that you know instead of trying to like find ourselves within the relationship and define it and i think you come up with the the you came up with the notion of relationship by design, relationship by design and yeah. to me that's what relationship panic is all about mm -hmm. is not taking that sort of you know, superimposed structure and say, yeah. you know, this is what creates the expectation. It doesn't of mean we don't the... design. Yeah, but we design it ourselves, yeah, right? right? And again, it goes back to freedom. Exactly. So that the the freedom from those externally imposed structures sure. is, is what it's about. Yeah, yeah. But, and I also Do... would add to that, we design it ourselves with the realization that it could change at any point. Oh, absolutely. For sure. yeah. yeah, 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 for sure. Interesting. I was introduced to a relationship anarchy, the term itself, by someone who actually told me that he had a girlfriend he sleeps with every day. So um, it kind of sounded hierarchical, um, but that's not the point. The point is that I think it's a very interesting term. And as coming from the 60s, etc., when we use anarchy, we don't use it lightly. It's actually not just an individual choice. It's a movement. It's a political movement, yes. There are two, many issues related. First is, as someone said, it's not very palatable. It's not very marketable to others, you know. Um, I do just what I want. So where is the organizing principle? Is it just my will and my self-governance? But what is actually governing my self-governance? So what's the value? One, th one thing is, what's the value added to polyamory? or to, actually it's not been asked, but to non-conventional or unconventional, ethical, consensual, non-monogamy. So I think that we have a big challenge, not just in communication, in the term itself or the label, but um, in, in, in defining what, what's the, uh, the politics of it. I love the term myself, anarchist. I feel an anarchist. For me, it's rebel, radical, uh, anti um, centralization, you know, patriarchy, etc. But how do you move from that to the relationship realm? And all I have heard so far, I'm sorry that to be a little disappointed because it's more like I, 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 I did, I did, I did. It's story driven. And actually the idea is to create a movement like polyamory. What would you want to? So it's just questions that I disagree are, as well. Yeah, but yeah. I'm just trying to challenge question. you between the big picture politics, which is you know the intellectual part, and then how do we translate that in our day-to-day -day lives, but being true to the term anarchist as well? Okay.
So I think you actually mentioned a, a, a key word there uh, as part of that, which is consent, right? And and people like to talk about consensual mon- non-monogamy, uh, but a lot of times that means completely different things that actually translate to control rather than uh, consent. I, I, I think if, if we go back to that notion of building the relationship not based on a preconceived notion of what a relationship of type A needs to look like. And we talk about these notions of designing them. The design is done with, uh, you know, looking for consent as the guiding principle, right? And that could be quite radical, right? Because we're not talking about sex necessarily, right? Uh, so when you, and I think that's something you brought up in, in some of your talks as well. Um, Think about how people treat food in most cultures, right? It's completely coercive, right? And most of our notion of how we relate to intimate uh, people around our lives is, is tend to be very coercive. So, just the notion of moving to a you know a, a place where we negotiate concern, consent constantly and and everything that we do, I think, is quite radical as as a way of going beyond the self. And and to me, that's that's another key principle. I sense a potential question in there too, whether or not it was like implied. Yeah, I think there was an actual specific question regarding. Um, yeah, I think there was a specific yeah. question regarding uh, relationship anarchy as a movement and anarchy broadly as a movement, and then how does it um, uh, sync up with? I guess the idea was how does relationship anarchy sync up with the notion of anarchy as a movement? Yeah. Uh, and, and it brings the question up of should RA be a movement? And also um, what kind of value does that add to the already, you know, world of polyamory? Right, I heard that which was the other question on top of that. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> now that we nailed that I'll, out. I'll add the, I'll, I'll, I'll address the second one. Um, because that's the one that I really got excited about. Um, if it's all about I, 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 I'd like to kind of flip that and say it's about choice rather than a self-absorbed kind of dynamic, which that could easily, again, that's not unique to polyamory or monogamy or nama. It's just you as a person, right? Whether or not you consider other people, I don't think has anything to do with anarchy. That's just your construct as a person. That's just how you are. But yeah, if one of the, the foundation or, you know, defining principles of anarchy is autonomy, there is a, a level of I and choice involved. And what kind of value does it actually bring to a relationship? And to that, I mean, I can only answer for myself. And that is that I have the freedom to truly love radically because it's my choice. So f- to make this really simple, I'm going to make an example out of it. I'll just bring a real example. Um, I don't have to go home tonight. I don't have to. In fact, if I want to spend the night somewhere, I will. But I go home because I love him and I want to. And there's nothing more radical about that. There's nothing that really communicates love more than having choice. So for me... Autonomy is the space to radically love because it's my choice to, not because it was inflicted on me by culture. So it's not self-absorbed as much as it is my choice to actually give in a way that really helps me thrive. And when it's my choice and I'm thriving, you can thrive in that love because it's not forced. That's how I would just personally answer that. 
my answer is RA should not be for everyone. It's not for everyone. It does not need to be widespread and it does not need to be a movement. Um, mm-hmm. There are lots of other ways to do anarchy um, that will work and make sense for you. Or there are lots of other ways to resist the way the larger uh, society is organized that don't work for you. RA is not the only way to do it. So I would definitely say that it could be detrimental. I think I was saying this before we came in here. It could be detrimental for someone to uh, engage in relationship as I do um, without the the right tools to do so or without the aptitude to do so or the, the you know, certain personality traits and various other things to do so like it could be detrimental and I don't think it's a good idea actually I think there are lots of other ways um to push back against um the powers that be and to deconstruct the system so to speak um and and NRA is not the only way to do it I would say to that end that power dynamics are at play in all of our relationships and that there is value in addressing them in your relationship, particularly as a woman, particularly as a person of color, particularly uh, as a queer person who is relating in the world. Uh, those power dynamics should always, always, always be addressed, um, no matter how you design your relationship. And I think that kind of goes back to, to your question about the political or social movement. Um, yeah, th- that is anarchism right and it's just bringing anarchism into the realm of relationships but as a social movement it's it's really just anarchism and i think anarchism is is very alive very much alive and well these days as a political movement uh i like what you said about radical love i think that kind of gives us a certain glue to hold our uh our society in a way that's different than the current sort of political structures that, that are in place. And in that sense, this is very much relating to that. For sure. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. So there's been a mention of rules and boundaries, and I was wondering if you could help me understand the difference. And is it is it more about the way in which you come to agree on them, or it, or is there actually some difference, and are those helpful terms in discussing this? Great question. I love it. Well, I'll... I'll try i don't know it's 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 a difficult one to to answer because there is sort of like this kind of gray area but it's it's clear in my mind when i think about it the boundaries are very much individual uh so there are things that can and cannot be done to me versus things that you can or cannot do so um and and they have to do with defining you know actually the boundary between the self and the other it's it's the thing so it's it's about much more than um you know the the way that we might do things you know it's it's just um and, and this is where it gets fuzzy right it, it's kind of hard to define what makes good boundaries how does one talk about personal yeah, boundaries you were married of rules that you didn't enjoy and boundaries that work for you so yeah i think this is very very different than rules in my mind this is what i'm trying to say so rules are just very external structures that are trying to sort of define but do you have an example codify. for yourself like in your life It might might be easier to understand that. What creates a good boundary? Uh, A very simple example would be something like, uh, you know, I will not be 
communicated uh, in an emotionally abusive way or a verbal abusive way, for instance, right? Uh, uh, things that are very clear about this is the way that I need to be treated, right? With respect, with, you know, kindness, um, my honesty. My needs. Uh, yeah, it's about, but it's not about my needs because it's not about all of my needs. It's more about where I define the separation between a healthy sense of self and the people around me, right? Uh, things I will and will not sort of agree to and tolerate in, in the way that I'm being treated, in the way that I interact with other people, they have nothing to do with the way that you are interacting with other people in your life, right? Things that are outside of the realm of us interacting with each other, that's where it has nothing to do with boundaries. So to answer your question, that, that's where I see the distinction, where the other things is where people talk about rules and agreements and, and so on. I feel like you have something on your mind. I want to know what it is. <laughs> I'm trying to understand the question. Uh, I think the question is, what are the fundamental differences between rules and boundaries? Rules. I heard roles. That's probably... Oh, no. <laughs> that's not, okay, okay. Like, what yeah. the Rules and boundaries. Yeah. Uh, rules and boundaries. You know what? I think <laughs> I'm a bit cynical about p the way that people use boundaries. Sometimes it's often used as... That's my boundary is another way of saying I'm really uncomfortable with this. <laughs> um, and just being uncomfortable is not always a problem. Um, it's okay to be uncomfortable and to experience discomfort. Um, yeah, I, I feel like we kind of abuse that word sometimes. Um, I'm actually really conservative about calling boundaries. Um, so... Yeah, yeah, do whatever the hell you want to do, man. Um, it's a little different when I live in a space with someone, though. Um, that starts to call up, like, okay, we've got we've got to get a little organized here. We've got to uh, create a life that works for us. Um, and still, that can always change. Um, if, yeah, it, it just, it's, it's very situation dependent with me. Uh, boundaries are basically, you know, don't touch me when I'm sleeping, like sexually, like that's a fucking boundary. That's, um, you know, that, yeah, that's a pretty reasonable boundary, very neutral boundary. And it's something you come in with for me. It can, it's often something I'll come in with. It's not something I created just cause I'm fucking uncomfortable. Um, and sometimes it is something I created because I'm uncomfortable, but like, you know, I think it's very, very situation dependent. Uh, I I'm cautious about, um, saying any one certain thing, um, I like to, I like to relate it to BDSM. Actually, my boundaries are my hard limits, <laughs> you know, like my boundaries are my hard limits. Um, it's, it's quite similar, but also boundaries can often change. Sure. I, I would like a, a really classic example of on a boundary is like for, for polyamorous people or non-monogamous people is like fluid, like exchanging fluid and sex. That's could be a hard, hard limitation. Right. And like, yeah, I identify as as an anarchist. But if I'm dating someone that has that strong, like boundary for them, of course, I'm going to take that into consideration because those kinds of we can call them rules or we can call them boundaries. But ultimately, if something I'm doing impacts another human being, then I'm going to acknowledge it. 
glad you brought up right? that topic. And That's so the uh... word, the word, <laughs> like the word rules versus boundaries, it's such a great question. And to answer that, I don't know that the, that the two words are going to really help us classify as much as it is we, we strive for autonomy and choice because we want the freedom to love. And that also comes with a lot of communication around is what I'm doing going to be helpful and healthy to the people that I love? And if not, are there things that I can choose actively to to make other people thrive around me? And that can be called agreements. We can call those boundaries. Um, we like to avoid the word rule because it implies negativity, you know, but I don't know if that helps. I think I always, I always reserve the right to like decline as well. Like if someone's like, this is a boundary for me or this is a rule or however you whatever, however you like to phrase it. And uh, it doesn't feel right for me. It, like yeah. it, it changes things in a way that doesn't make sense to me. I can decline and it may not be a forever decline. I might just be like, I decline. I'm yeah. going to think about that and you like see growing. what it really yeah. feels like. And I do have a tendency to like a lot of space um, and to enjoy solitude for that very reason, because it gives me the space to really feel things out and to, to find out if their boundary or hard limit or whatever you want to call it makes sense to me yeah. if it's if it's sound if it feels right in my gut and that's a really intuitive thing for me intuitive yeah. i just want to go back to your example though because it's such a great one to to kind of clarify maybe the distinction right uh i don't have penetrative sex with others without a condom mm -hmm. that would be a boundary right. uh you will not have penetrative sex with other people uh without a condom is a rule yeah, and that's the difference right yeah yeah and as but an weirdly, anarchist they kind of do impact each other they do but as right? an anarchist right. i don't believe that i have any rights to uh can you make a request i can make any request but i don't i i wouldn't even make that request of you i would rather know about it right if you decided Definitely know to do it. that yeah uh but i believe that you know my first responsibility is for myself right so i'd much rather get tested every three months right and and find out about things early rather than try to control all of my partners and my partner's partners and trying to get to a point where i'll be quote unquote safe right and that goes back to that notion of control romantic centric mm. i just want to say yeah <laughs> <laughs> I hope the, that was helpful. Well, like, but you do find that a lot in polyamorous circles, oh, right? Yeah, it's like, I want to know exactly when. Topic, and I sure. Like, yeah. I want to control the whole polycule, and that's how we're all going to yeah. be safe. And that takes you right back to monogamy. And I don't think there's anything necessarily negative about the desire to control that, honestly. Like... Like, I, I don't I think I don't want us to necessarily be super anti the other side. Like, if you have a desire to be with partners who are always wearing condoms or not, like, I actually think that that's like you mentioned, anarchy is not for everybody. So I don't I wouldn't necessarily say that's control. It's also health. You know what I mean? So there's two sides of the coin. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And um, I, before I, I want to add just the, the, the rules and the boundaries part that. One of the things, again, if you um, research um, relationship anarchy, you find a manifesto. One of the, one of the things that mentioned this idea of, uh, of finding your core belief system, your core values. So I think that might be a different way of looking at it rather than looking at rules and boundaries is what the manifesto suggests is that you found your core values and that those are your those are your North Star. Like you 
align your decisions, your 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 whatever your interactions according to this north star that you decide for yourself, which is your value system. And and the way that works out is a combination of you know the, uh, boundaries, rules, whatever you want to call it. But that's just how you get there. I think what sort of dictates it is this north star that you choose for yourself. And I think if you communicate that to your partners. This is my value system. These are the values that I, I live by. I think the boundaries, rules, agreements will take care of themselves in ongoing, healthy, intentional communication. I don't know if that aligns with what, what you guys believe. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would concur. I think boundaries are something that one constantly negotiates and redefines for oneself. It, it's part of a healthy yeah. relating Rules to me is something that's static that one tries to put in place to, to make. They're often ready made. They're not based yeah. on yeah. me and you meeting and, and figuring it out. It's like my experience told me this, so this is the hard mm -hmm. stop. And rules often are ready made. They come from, you know, um, the societal sort of norms and mm -hmm. dictates. And it's such. kind of like cool. a yeah. turn off. Yeah. Boundaries also don't have to be necessarily verbalized in such a way. So when you're bringing the, the example, uh, a lot of times, you know, boundaries could be actually enforced by behavior, right? One, one can sort of act in certain ways that create boundaries between the self and, and the other, right? And puts up certain space for, uh, sure. for a reason. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to do the last question and then we're going to wrap up. Mm -hmm. We have three. Let's do a quick. Can we have all the three questions and we'll try to address them as well as we can. And, that, and we'll wrap up and we're over to. Okay, this is very broad. But and I'll, I'll use partners as a shorthand for people that you're intimately involved with. So I speak. Okay. It's a very broad question, so you can answer it quickly. But without there being rules necessarily, but there can be things that make partners very uncomfortable and possibly emotionally hurt. How do you show consideration and care for their feelings without it being that you're adjusting your behavior or limiting your behavior? How do you still show compassion for your other partners? Great. We'll hold that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can we have all the three questions and see Wait, if we can we answer the them in the, in the last no? bit? No? Was there another? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, so, Conchetta, I, I mean, what you said resonated throughout, and um, I thought um sounds like, I mean, like I was raised as kind of a rule follower, and I was just curious whether you, like, experienced in your life, like, a lot of clashes with authority figures in school, whether you still do, if you have work, that situations, you know, is that, is that like universal for your life or is it in relation? It's just like, how is, how is life with all the rebelliousness and the anarchy, mm -hmm. you know, throughout? It's a, it's a good question because we go back to the, the, the idea that this is relationship. Anarchy means all of relationships, not just your romantic relationships. Right. So if that's your attitude to all relationships, that is colleagues, that is, you know, um, people that you know people that you interact with day to day so how's that working out for you guys <laughs> do we have a third question <laughs> okay we're gonna add this so how do you show how do you show compassion uh when there are no structures suggest so that and then and then how is how is relationship anarchy in general working out for you guys yeah and in, in, in life passion compassion is a practice it's a daily practice um i first um it starts with me uh, gentleness starts here in me and how I work with my own um, content and material. Um, and then, and then it, 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 it ideally radiates outward um, into my relationships uh, more pragmatically. Um, so someone approaches me and says, um, it doesn't usually come at, you know, when these things happen, they don't usually, they're not so civilized. So, you know, <laughs> someone's having a, a, a blowout, you know, and they're like, 
I don't know what's what's come on you you do this like every day you get to hear people's stuff give me an example of like a relational blowout so I can give an example of addressing it the big one is this is not what we agreed to this is not yeah (laughs) it's harder as an RA person this is not what we agreed to so say there was some some former agreement um you know, and I'm probably upset because I'm not going to be super therapeutic right now. Um, you know, okay, let's take some space. I see that you're hurting and I'm hurting. Can we take some space and come back to this? Uh, because I really want to respond to you um, from from the, the deepest, most compassionate place in me. That's usually where I start. He can attest to that. Mm-hmm. I start with space uh, and then I come back. Uh, after having really sat with what the person said, I try, I generally try to see if there's any truth in what they said. Um, and, and what is actually true, uh, for me and for them also. And sometimes my truth and their truth aren't, aren't aligning. And, um, and then I try to reapproach it and I say, this is, I sat with this and this is what I'm seeing. What are you seeing? Um, and then it just becomes this process of, of working things out. And having a talk about the underlying emotions as well as, you know, the more practical aspects of things. Mm -hmm. But it's a process. Yeah. And it's ongoing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I I wonder if you just repeat that that wording one more time. Is that how do you show compassion towards the person you're with without what was the. Oh, well, like if they're uncomfortable or feel emotionally like stirred up by something mm-hmm. but you're not going you're not going to set like an actionable restriction on yourself how do you right. still show them compassion right yeah 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 that that's a it's an excellent yeah no i i really like this question because it it again it addresses something that in monogamy is sort of assumed that one is responsible for one's partner's emotions right and especially those difficult emotions that that we t- typically put on the umbrella of jealousy and things like that. Uh, and that is like the worst thing that can happen is you can make your, uh, your partner jealous and, uh, and all the constructs around that. Um, one, once you try to go away from that, right. And, and see yourself as not being responsible for somebody else's emotions, although you might be the cause of some of those emotions, you might've contributed to it. Um, then there's a lot more space to kind of consider, right? Uh, first of all, to be compassionate, just like you said, and, and you mentioned that. Uh, so compassion is, is, first of all, I think, again, is, is one of those bases for healthy relationships, just like trust, just like the assumption of, of goodwill. Um, and... Sometimes I will change my actions, right? Uh, but the idea is to do that from, again, from a place of uh, trying to discern what, what you were just saying, right? Uh, which is, where do I see my responsibility, right, for something? Did I, did I actually act against my own sort of belief system and my own values of what good relationship should be like, what good relating should be like, right? Did I basically, was I acting like an asshole, right? Um, and, and that takes some, some time and, and space, like you were saying, to, to sort of figure that out. 
uh, and that is separate from your emotions and and feelings of hurt. Uh, so it's sort of moving away from this assumption that there is some sort of objective truth and objective way that you know we're all just trying to sort of find into a much more subjective way of of seeing things and really trying to see the other in their perspective. So really brings the question how we do emotional labor broadly. Yeah, yeah. It's a bigger conversation. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, laser sharp. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, we have, do have to wrap up. Does anyone want to address the last question of like how's anarchy working out for you and your other relationship and, and, and relationships? Just to you. The yeah, authority. The yeah. Okay. So yeah, I grew up in Japan and I'll make this really, really fast. We could talk afterwards. Japan is all about rules and tradition, not about uh, free will or your individuality. It's all about who you are in the structure of tradition and culture. Right. I fought against that my whole life. Nine kids, hierarchical relationship fought against that too. Um, I do have an abusive childhood. And so I was constantly punished for having choice and freedom. So yes, that's why I'm here. Um, what I find always is that strong authority without any reason and just for the sake of authority, I don't thrive. And a lot of people don't thrive in that. A lot of people, how I survive with this now, because we live in a hierarchical world and I'm fiercely non-hierarchical. How I survive in this is I try, if I'm in a space, in a work, in a contract that doesn't give me that, I can't like, and I have to keep that job or relationship. I need to keep it alive and flourishing. Then I need to give myself some radical autonomy somewhere else and a huge amount of self-care. That is how I've learned to treat myself in this way. If I'm on a contract and musical theater is incredibly hierarchical and sometimes very abusive and, and it's a, a culture of bullying, if that's the case, then I need to make sure that I'm making work that no one tells me what to do and how to make it. And I get to do it on my terms, how I want to work with the people I want. As long as I'm satisfying it equally somewhere else, it doesn't create a seesaw effect in my life. If I'm not nurturing autonomy somewhere else and then I'm dealing with it, then I just feel oppressed and then I react. Um, we do have to wrap up. Um, regretfully, uh, this conversation can go on forever, but we want to sort of wrap it up. Um, but we don't have to stop. Um, we're going to be here for another. We have the space till 10 o'clock. Uh, we're going to be here chatting. Um, before I... Before I go, there are a few thank yous that I want to say. Um, I want to say thank you to Jackie, my collaborator, who make, helps me make this happen. Uh, I want to say thank you to Laura, my assistant, um, who also makes this happen. I want to give a huge thank you to Thomas, who is recording this and is going to edit it and make it into a podcast. And um, I also want to pass it back to Jackie just to remind you guys about Patreon. We do need your support. Um, there's a lot of people here that are putting their um, best in. Yeah, so just as Effie mentioned, just because the event is over doesn't mean the conversation has to be. And so we invite you to, to follow us on all of the platforms that exist on Instagram, on Facebook. We now have our podcast on Spotify and on Apple. So in all the places you can get it and share this, share this dialogue and this conversation. And we really encourage you to go on to Patreon. Patreon is P-A-T-E-O-E-R-O-N. Thank you, Patreon. Um, we are Curious Foxes. If you have enjoyed this conversation, if you want more of this, if there are more people who you think need to hear this and be a part of it, if you want to weigh in on the topics that we do, if you want to have some swag and wear some things that show that you're curious and that you're a fox, then go on to Patreon and support. Thank you, Jackie. And a huge thank you to my panelists. Without them, this wouldn't happen. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. Um, and thank you to all for coming and stay curious. Stay curious.